welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode. Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Value Adds Value. I am Kyle Krieger and I am one of your two hosts along with Willie V. Law. Uh, welcome to part two of a conversation we're having with uh, Lauren Larson who is a behavior specialist and an SEL um, teacher out in Phoenix which has just been unbelievable. Uh, this part of the episode we talk a lot about how to work on the social emotional learning of students and ourselves and really uh, focuses on how we need to be mindful that we're not trying to keep up with everyone on the internet when it comes to being a teacher and, and doing the things that are true and genuine to us. So we hope you enjoy part two of this episode with Lauren. Um, go check her out, Structured Special Ed, on Instagram and her website and Facebook. Um, and be sure to check this out. Uh, feel free to share this, like it, subscribe, help us reach more teachers. And we hope that uh, everything in your world is going great and we hope you're doing well and Thanks again for checking out Value Adds Value. Exactly. I mean, and it's one thing where it's, I feel like it's, it's crazy that as we're asking children to handle these really big emotions and to handle them correctly and safely. And yet as teachers, sometimes we don't even handle these really big emotions correctly or safely. And I mean, there's so much research in co-regulation, like a really um, dysregulated adult cannot help co-regulate a dysregulated child. So as teachers, we need to be role models. We need to understand our own, um, what helps us and our own coping strategies and our own abilities. And when to say like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm, I'm burnt out. I, I need someone to step in. Um, because at that point, if our fuse is super short, there's no way we're going to help kids whose fuses are shorter. Um, it's just, it's not possible. And that's, I feel like, like you said, like teachers can't, I, it's one thing, yes, it's great to have a glass of wine, but I, if, if you're drinking because you can't cope correctly with the stress of your job, I can't imagine what the next day stress is going to do to you and the next month stress and the next year stress. And it's probably why teachers burn out so fast is because of lack of coping strategies, lack of understanding how to handle the stresses of this job. And the kids aren't coming with no trauma. I mean, we're seeing more trauma. We're seeing more behavior. We're seeing more Mm -hmm. stuff. And I mean, with COVID now, it's a whole different ballpark of collective trauma. So if we can't ourselves manage this stuff, how are we expecting kids or ourselves to help kids? That's what you just described is the exact situation in which Wilkie and I built our relationship because I was that person who couldn't regulate because I was so burnt out and I was so uh, emotionally kind of just run dry that I was the person who would um, uh, rate, uh, you know, kind of when I should be de-escalating, I would be escalating situations. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out why kids didn't want to have conversations with me because they saw me as a person who just, you know, did that. It makes so much sense. So 
when it comes to the behavioral supports, especially this year around SEL, what do you, what do you think that looks like for teachers, especially who are either, you know, my school is doing a hybrid where the kids are only on campus two days a week and off campus three. Uh, I know there are a lot of schools doing distance learning. So what do those behavioral supports look like this year to help kids cope with, with everything that's going on when we don't have that face-to-face contact? You know, I think to be honest, it's a struggle. Like our district, we're distant learning. Only our most um, like self-contained, like our um, our really like lower on the autism spectrum, are some of our ED programs went back um, in person as of like last week and stuff. But everyone else is distant for us, um, so that is a challenge to say the least on uh, providing. I feel like those supports because I mean, it, just in my few weeks because we went back to school like the 5th of August here. So I've had a few weeks under my belt, but um, it's teachers that I've talked to who are reaching out to me for help um, are saying it's next to impossible when you're on the computer. If a kid needs a side conversation to have a side conversation, like how do you step out of a computer to have a side conversation with a student who's struggling or how do you I feel like body language too sometimes is a big one for kids that shows Mm -hmm. us that they're shut down, that they're struggling. And how do you see that when we have screens off? Or how do you see that when you can only see someone's head or their face is this big? It's like tiny because you see 30 plus kids and stuff. I think it it, and it's crazy because we try not to reinvent the wheels, teachers. We try to, I feel like, pull things to just help us hit the ground running, but there's nothing like this. We have nothing that has ever been like this in education, especially providing, I feel like that behavior support to kids who desperately need it. I mean, think of kids who now are say getting escalated or having emotional struggles and it's now falling back on the parents or the caregivers or the siblings who are there watching these kids, or they're at a community center with a person making a minimum wage and, and who's there to help them who no, no one's there. So it's really what I've been working with, with parents and staff at my school is just front loading parents with resources on, like I said, coping strategies, breathing techniques, yoga, mindfulness, all of that stuff. I feel like creating a safe space in their home, um, creating, I telling them what to put in a safe space, for example, like, how do you go make one of those cool down bottles? Like what kind of things do you need? And getting them to understand that certain emotions elicit different coping strategies. Things that help us when we're sad might not help us when we're mad or tired or defeated um, or anxious. So it's really, I feel like, A, it's complete complete improvising right now on pulling what we need to, but on the flip side, providing it to the people who realistically are with these kids right now. I could provide resource teachers all they want, but they're not with the kids, especially for us. For you guys, they are. And that's what we need to be doing is we need to be front-loading the people right now with all these resources and not just the resources, but how to use the resources, why we use the resources, when you use the resources and letting them know if they don't know how in that moment, then they need to have that conversation and kind of own up to that side of, ooh, that didn't go well, or ooh, I didn't know that. And it's not a failure. It's data. Like it's, we, we need to empower people to know it's okay to make a mistake. We talk about growth mindset. Well, teachers need to know 
they need to admit when there's growth mindset as well. Um, so I think it's hard. It's a challenging scenario all the way around. Well, I just uh, think about, you know, what you said in regards to, you know, giving parents the skills and the, you know, those strategies, but I've heard, you know, I've had two days of meetings at my school and people are already talking like second week, we got to get into content second week, we got to do this. And, you know, it's really, I, I don't agree with it, but what do you say? And maybe it kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about teachers being unwilling to, to really change and take on these practices at work. So what, what do you say to a teacher that's in that spot still that's like we got to jump into content we got to get into this and and those people aren't bad people it's just like you said that's the over you know that's the overarching mentality of education right now you know that has been personally a struggle that I have seen not only in my job just this year but I feel like across all years that I've had to go and help people even back when I was a therapist and stuff and going into classrooms is we need to stress the importance of of relationships and building those relationships and, and tying it to the, the data and the research that says, when you do this, academics come, positive behaviors come, um, decrease in disruptive behaviors come. Like I was reading an article the other day for my job and it was like, if you, um, it's based off the two by 10 um, strategy, which if you guys don't know is where educators spend um, two minutes for 10 days straight with a student. And it was first founded, um, or I guess thought of back for, I think by a principal in Canada, actually, to help with some of his challenging um, students and for teachers to reach them. And um, it's something I swear by. It's a game changer. If you don't do it, do it. It's amazing. But um, that is something that teachers, I feel like, need to understand is even if it's two minutes, um, at the end of the day or two minutes while everyone else is silent reading or something like that. We need to be spending that time to connect. Yes, I understand the pressures of meeting those standards and standard testing and all of this stuff. And parents who have these really high pressures of education and wanting academics and their kid to go to Harvard and stuff. But it, there's so much research that states when we spend that time and we build those relationships, all of this positive stuff happens and on the flip side, all the other negative stuff decreases and we need to be prioritizing that. And if your focus is still 99% on academics, there is still 1% of your day where you can spend this time building up your kids, building those relationships with your harder kids, with your more introverted kids, with your kids who are probably just doing fine and just would need some love and attention in regardless. And it's a shift that I don't think one of us or a collective us, I think that is a top-down thing. We need to have a top-down approach to getting educators to switch that mindset to understanding that's not the first priority when it comes to education. And I don't think it's going to be something, sadly, that's probably going to change anytime soon. And that's interesting. I've never heard of that. So I'm, I'm like really, really into that right now. I just Googled it. <laughs> so, you know, Google helps you with everything. Um, and I think that is so critical. Like, hmm, yeah. It's, uh, it's really fascinating. If you, it's, there's been some research on it. There was a book written about it. Um, it is a very 
proactive approach, like I said, mostly targeted towards working with kids who say are more, I guess not working towards um, building a relationship with kids who are a little more challenging. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where it started. But honestly, for me, in all my years of being a teacher, I do it with all my kids. I put my kids on a rotation. So every kid, every 10 days, I pick a new kid, but I spend two minutes for 10 days and typically it goes way longer than two minutes. I mean, um, but I feel like you have to value that though. Like you have to value that time and understanding that the research says if you spend just those two minutes for 10 days with a kid, the, the minutes that you would get out of that child who's being disruptive or having challenging behavior is tenfold. Sometimes that's not, they're not having two minutes of behavior in a classroom. They're not getting the class off track for just two minutes a day, Mm -hmm. but yet after 10 days of two minutes of positive one-on-one, just letting that kid talk, getting that foundations of understanding that kid, they're decreased there's huge decreases in disruptive behavior. There's huge decreases in challenging behavior, which overall for the classroom, for the teacher, for the kid, puts everyone back on track, puts all positiveness back into the classroom, puts everything Mm -hmm. back in the right, I feel like how it needs to be for a healthy, sustainable, safe classroom where learning can grow. It's just, it's my favorite strategy. (laughs) Awesome. One one more kind of question before we wrap up here and be respectful of your Saturday. You posted on IG not that long ago about functionality over cuteness. And it's something that we've had a lot of talks about, especially when you've seen people over the last few months transform entire rooms into their house and spend all this money to have what looks really good. So could you just kind of explain that idea of function over cuteness? Yeah, of course. I I think it's one thing. Um, it might be a little different for you guys in a gen ed setting, but I still personally think across the board, special ed, gen ed, any grade, um, especially where it is very sometimes overstimulating to walk into an environment that every single wall and every single space and every single millimeter is covered in stuff. And unless it's stuff to provide them um, through, I feel like, um, stuff to help them be successful, then it's not needed. We don't need flowers on our wall or pictures on our wall or motivational quotes. That's that sometimes I feel like almost is why we're seeing sometimes behavior because kids who say have ADHD, kids who are easily distractible, kids who, um, withdrawal or just kind of get bored sometimes and stuff. Then they guess what? They start looking around. They start looking at the walls. They start looking at everything. And then guess what? They're getting reprimanded for that. And mm-hmm. it's almost like a vicious cycle. It's sometimes what we call a behavior trap and stuff is, is we're doing something, they're doing something. Now we're reacting to it. They're reacting to it. And it's just a really ugly cycle of a, a continuum. And I, I've been very, diligent as in being a teacher and also trying to work with other teachers in my schools and stuff of if it's not functional and sometimes even functional is a subject is what people think of what is subject to them and stuff like that. But we don't need all of our walls covered with all this amazing and granted, yes, word walls and all that stuff and posters and anchor charts, all that stuff is great and letters of the alphabet, but unless you're actually utilizing it for direct teaching and your kids, I feel like are utilizing it for their small group teaching and their independent work and all of that stuff to help them succeed as a student, it it almost is a detriment because of the fact that 
it's too much. It's too much in their environment. It's too overstimulating. It's, it's causing distractibility. It's, it's allowing kids um, kind of something visually where they probably should be focusing on teachers or their work and stuff like that. But instead they're so in, I feel like around us. And I feel like it's a huge thing where teachers, I feel like it's, it's funny. I talk about this a lot with my friends, but sometimes I feel like education, especially on Instagram, is keeping up with the Joneses. Like, oh, they have this and I have to have this and I have to do it better and I have to do this and stuff. And I mean, it's definitely Instagram's a highlight reel for sure. But I mean, it's funny because I feel like as someone who's on Instagram and I have a teacher Instagram and stuff like that, and I try to promote positivity and just strategies and stuff like that. But for my teachers at my school who aren't on Instagram, they say, or they see stuff like this floating around the internet and they take it and run with it. And they're like, oh my God, I saw on the internet. That's that. I have to do it. And sometimes that's not what we need to be doing. Like we don't need to be taking something that someone's doing and taking it like that's the next big thing. Um, and so that's, I feel like the struggle with sometimes this side of it and the Instagram side of it and teachers putting all that stuff out there is then other teachers feel like they need to live up to that. Teachers feel like they need to do that. They need to do better than it. And I feel like that ends up, that takes away from the function of it. Like why, why do we need to do that? Why does that need to be on your wall? Why do we need to have all these beautiful things? But if it's not pertaining to kids and it's not helping kids grow and helping their academics, then what's the purpose of it? I don't know. I hope that answered your question. No, that, that totally did. And it, yeah, it's just crazy to me the way that over the, you know, 10 plus years that I've been teaching, the landscape has changed of where we get information. Like you said, Instagram's amazing because we connected through Instagram, you know, like there's so many good things that we've learned and people we met, but that keeping up the with the Joneses in terms of classrooms is a, that's a real thing. It is. Right. And I feel like for teachers who don't understand Instagram or understand that it's a highlight reel or understand that people are keeping up with the Joneses, because really, I mean, I feel like as a teacher who's on Instagram and has my own Instagram and stuff, like I definitely am trying to target my audience and hoping that that's not just other teachers on Instagram. I mean, I'm hoping it's for new teachers, for teachers who are looking for resources or ideas and special ed and stuff like that. But often people who I follow and people who I'm kind of watching out for, sadly, is other teachers on Instagram. And then I, I go to school and then those teachers, they see something like, for example, I just saw something the other day and it was a great idea. It was super cute, but it was something where realistically that teacher probably paid for that and funded that out of her money. That wasn't something funded probably by the school. It probably wasn't something that the PTO gave her and stuff like that. And it's almost making, I feel like teachers think they need to be spending their own money to do this because this is what's expected or this is what other people are doing. So I need to do it. And it's so, and it all comes back to decor or to what needs to be in a classroom to make you a good teacher and stuff, which you don't need decor or you don't need stuff on your walls to be a good teacher. You need relationship building. You need connection with your kids. You need to spend time with your kids. You don't need to be spending time scrolling Instagram, looking for ideas of the best bulletin board and stuff like, yeah, that's great to have a great bulletin board or to have beautiful walls. But if you're spending that time on your prep doing that, instead of researching, I feel like how to build community and how to do community circles and how to do things like that or taking that time while your kids are eating snack or I don't know, in between passing period to focus on stuff like that instead of focus on kids, 
it, there's a, just a disconnect for me on stuff like that. So I don't know. I could probably talk about that forever. It's very, very, very passionate about it. Mm. It's that, you know, I, I just finished reading David Goggins book, uh, Can't Hurt Me. And mm-hmm. in his book, he talks about that, that deadly comparison piece. And, and it just made me realize how much we walk into a room and we instantly begin to compare that room to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I had an experience similar to that this, this past week when we were, they, uh, we, we met as a whole team, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And we got an opportunity to look at how other teachers were setting up their, their digital classrooms. And mine looked nothing like, I'm looking at some of these teachers, I'm like, wow, you guys are blowing it out of the water. Like you're crushing it. And then I thought about it and I say, I, I went back to his book and I said, the only person I'm competing with is me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do this stuff two years ago. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that this, this function was available three years ago. So for me to be where I'm at right now means that I've advanced for me. Mm-hmm. So the only competition that I have, the only comparison I have is me yesterday. You know, am I doing better today than I did yesterday? And I think a lot of teachers we're so focused on, like you say, keeping up with the Joneses that we want to make sure ours look just as good. You know, I remember when uh, we had an opportunity to meet uh, Barry White and when he started, you know, with the handshaking and, and then all of a sudden you see teachers in the hallways, you know, starting handshakes with their kids. And, you know, when, you know, another teacher started doing this, you had a teacher start doing, and I'm like, why are you trying to be anything other than yourself? Mm-hmm. That's what I bring to my classroom because I, I tell kids all the time, you've never had another teacher like me and you'll never, you've never had a teacher like me and you never will again, unless you fail my class and get back in your class. <laughs> That's the only way you're going to have it again. So enjoy me for who I am, my mistakes, my successes, my failures, my pushes. You know, I'm going to be as transparent with you as I want you to be with me so we can all grow and learn in this experience and not comparing me to you or comparing... Well, Kyle was across the hall. He he did this with his kids. I'm going to go try to do that. No, no, I have to be authentic to who I am. I'm a rapper. And I tell people, there's a teacher at my school. I connect with my kids through hip hop music. You know, I'll have hip hop music playing and I'll freestyle as they're walking in the room. But that's me. I can't expect a teacher who that's not where they're from. That's not a part of them to say, hey, man, you want to connect with your kids? Rap, that do what I do. Because then he's going to be inauthentic. And when the kids see it, they're not going to connect, mm-hmm. you know, and now your life has just gotten, your teaching life has just gotten that much harder now because the kids are like, why are you pretending, trying to pretend to be something that you're not? Yeah. I mean, and I think a big part too, I mean, we talk about burnout all the time for teachers and stuff, but I think something we need to really acknowledge about probably what's um, sometimes leading like to burnout, which probably is not something people talk a lot about, but think about all the teachers who are spending their weekends and their times after school, um, trying to keep up with everyone else and spending all these hours so hyper-focused on, on the next best thing and the next best thing for the classroom or flipping their classroom to do this, or they saw this on Instagram, so now they need to do this. And I mean, instead they should be focusing on themselves. They should be focusing on their self-care. They should be focusing on, on what helps them decompress after work, but yet we're so 24-7 hyper-focused sometimes on school and keeping up with the Jones and keeping up with the teacher across the hall and learning that. I mean, I have teachers and it's so funny. I have teacher friends who, I mean, I don't have TikTok. I 
just got out of three years of kindergarten and stuff. But I have teachers who like, they go home and they learn TikTok dances and stuff like to connect with their students. And that's great. But like, where's the point where we stop, where we like, where education in our brain stops, like other people, like they have a clock out, like they're nine to five, like they leave, they don't take work home and stuff like that. And, and that's it. But yet we have teachers going home and hours and hours and hours of education stuff to keep up. And it's one thing if it's to connect with your kids, that's great. And I a hundred percent believe in connection with kids in any way to reach them possible. But if it's to connect or to keep up with the teacher next to you or across from you or the cool teacher at school, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And that's how you're going to burn out. You're just not taking time to yourself. There's no stopping your day. Like there's no, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's big. Yeah. You that's know, one of, go ahead. I was just going to say, Wilk and I are both talking and I brought it up to, cause I'm a, my school's going hybrid, but I'm one of the four distance learning teachers that is strictly mm-hmm. working with our distance learning kids. And I brought up, I'm like, I'm going to put an auto responder on that, that, at four o'clock or for whatever time we decide as teachers, we're going to turn it off at four 30. If I get an email, it's going to auto kick back. That says, I'm sorry, I'm out of my office until 7.00 AM. I will get back to you first thing in the morning mm-hmm. just because, and Wilkie and I've talked about this a ton too, is that being home and we've been home and been working from home. It's so difficult not to blur the lines of home and work. Yeah. And my biggest challenge, and this is something we could have another conversation about, is remembering that when I'm down here in my basement, I'm at work. Mm -hmm. And not viewing it as, oh, I'm home. So if I need to go and spend 15 minutes to do this, oh, I can just go do that. That's going to be my biggest challenge this year, I feel like. I mean, I definitely struggle with that um, March through May distant learning. I feel like because I was a teacher, I had a classroom, I had my own kids. I was literally struggling. I'm not a tech savvy person at all. I am like far from tech savvy. Um, so it came hard to me. Distance learning was hard. It caused a lot of big emotions out of myself. Um, and there was no turnoff because I was home. I would work sometimes until seven, eight, nine. And my husband and I were on a flip schedule where like, I'll work a normal, like, 845 to 315 and he'll go into work sometimes three to midnight and stuff. So with him not being here, holding me accountable to get off my laptop, I was working literally until he got home sometimes at midnight. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm so overwhelmed. I I, I don't know how to balance or I'm struggling and I don't know how to deal, but I feel like I, I have to figure this out. And I, there was no stop for me where literally after like three weeks, I was done. I was burned. I was emotional past the point of like helping myself at that point. Mm-hmm. And it, it, we have to, especially with distant learning, if you're working from home or you're hybrid some days and stuff, like you have to know that cutoff. Like you have to stop. You have to, even if you're at work, you have to leave work. There's been times, even in this back to school season, like I mean, practice what I preach. There's been times I've been at work five, six o'clock for I'm struggling because I'm like, my days are so chaotic, trying to help teachers, trying to help kids, trying to help families that I'm like, kept playing catch up until 6 PM. And my husband calls me and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm still at work. Okay. I got to go home. Like, and it's just, it's, it's a hard thing to break, but you have to do it for your mental state. I love it. I'm struggling with that right now with my wife. So (laughs) glad it's not just me. No, it's not. (laughs) All right, Will, any, any last follow-up questions before you uh, bring this thing in for a landing? No, that's it. It's been, it's been amazing. I just want to say thank you for taking this time. Um, 
again, you have uh, filled me with so much. Um, and I, I, I always say that I love the podcast because it gives us an opportunity not only to inform other teachers, our listeners, but also for us to get fed, you know, because, you know, we're, we're, we're getting and taking in this information. And <clears throat> I'm a sponge. I'm a, I'm a, I consider myself a lab rat. I like to keep doing things and keep learning, especially about my craft. And I want to thank you for what you've added today. Uh, you know, one of the things that, you, I, I, that sticks with me that you said was, deregulated adults cannot help regulate deregulated kids, dysregulated kids. You can't do that. The, the, you, you, you can't. And so I think that's something that um, I'm going to definitely make sure that I take and have that conversation with my team about making sure that we understand how to put our own things in compartments so yeah. that we can help students put their own things in compartments and know how to best do it. And like you said, knowing what tool to use. Yeah, I posted just on yesterday on Instagram and I posted a post that said, every student is one caring adult away from being a success story. And that one caring adult has to be a regulated adult who knows how to cope, who knows how to help kids cope, who knows how to fill their buckets, who knows how to show them love and compassion and empathy. And then all of our kids will be success stories and just the bread and butter of building that relationship. So I just appreciate you guys having me on. I just I love it so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So we have two more questions. Go uh, for it. Want, and these are kind of our, our little, I guess you could say in caps to the interview. Um, if you can imagine just for a moment, a billboard, a huge billboard along the side of the road, and every student in the country would have an opportunity to pass it. What would that? What would be your message to those to students as they pass this billboard? Um, gosh, that is such a great question. And honestly, the first thing that comes to mind, which is actually what I put on my so at the end of last year during COVID and distant learning, we had to take a picture, and our principal compiled all these pictures of um, teachers with their signs and stuff. Like we had to make a sign and take a picture and put it into like a video and sent it home to all of our kids. And literally the only thing I wanted my kids to know was that they were loved and they were missed and they were thought about because there's kids who, like I said, they probably question if a teacher knows their name or a teacher relates to them or a teacher connects with them or a teacher thinks about them when they go home. And I want every kid that I come in contact with being a teacher, being a specialist to know they're loved they are thought about, they are missed during these times that we're not together. Um, and that's probably what I'd put on my billboard. Awesome. Awesome. That's something that I share with everybody. I'd make sure I tell my daughter that, my nieces that, just because we know that we're living in a world that can make, that can make you feel so unloved. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that we remind kids that is so critical. Thank you. Um, the last question, when everything is said and done, there's nothing else to do. There's no more students to, to teach, no more SEL lessons to go out to, <laughs> to students, um, no more teachers to regulate. What is it at the end of the day do you want your legacy to be? Oh gosh, what a great question. I hope that one day, and I feel like I see this sometimes on the news. You see this, you see these stories on the news where that teacher who was amazing, who connected with their class, who had students after students after students, and they all showed up to their funeral and stuff. And they all like 
all those years later, all those years, they still remember that one teacher. I had a teacher like that. I was a terrible reader. I found out really soon on I was dyslexic, but it took until the second grade for a teacher to pour her whole self, all of her extra time before and after school to help me and to figure it out and to catch me up and, and to pour all of that into me and stuff. And I hope one day there's just at least one kid, one kid with that thinks back on me. Like I think back on Miss Yates, cause that was my teacher who I'll never forget. There's teachers. I don't remember their names. Miss Yates. I will never forget her and what, how she made me feel, how she bettered my life, how I, I feel like as an educator, I want to be like her and stuff for the feeling part of it, not the academic part for the, the relationship part of it. And I hope that when all is said and done, and eventually I retire, move on and stuff, that there's at least one kid who remembers me and, and knows me for that reason, for the fact that they never gave up on, I never gave up on them, that I poured my heart and soul into them, that I believed they could do it when they didn't believe they could do it. And if they got an A, a B, a C, whatever, but as long as they felt loved, they felt like school was the best place, my classroom was the best place, then I don't know. I think that would, that's what I hope my legacy would be one is that one kid remembers that side of it. Not the, not the academics, not the school side of it, the, the love, the, the community, the, the classroom, the second family. Cause that's how I treat my kids. My classroom, when I taught was it's a second family there. We're, we're a second family. So. So the humanity basically. Pretty much. Remember the humanity. <laughs> nice right. way to sum it up. <laughs> awesome. So for people that want to connect with you, uh, you know, read yourself, get your resources, where's the best places for them to find you? Um, mostly on Instagram. It, and my Instagram name is structured special ed. And um, yeah, that's, I, I'm pretty big on Instagram. I do have a Facebook that I sadly just don't use all that often. And uh, I actually am, uh, which I have not actually announced, but I'll tell you guys and stuff, but actually I'm having a website developed just really so that I can, I feel like put resource, like, I feel like blogging is really big right now, which I don't really want to blog personally, but I really want to put resources in the hands of teachers who are struggling with stuff like this. Like I want it to be a go-to place of resources and how to use it and for parents and stuff like that. So that will also be um, structuredspecialed.com and stuff, but pretty much on Instagram. That's my big one. Awesome. Well, we, we, we're going to just say that anytime you want to have a conversation, you just let us know and we will, we'll move our schedules around that we, so we can have another talk with you and we just want you to know how much we appreciate your time and once again for like the fifth podcast in a row I'm kind of at that point where like I don't think I could download any more information so it's a good thing that we're wrapping it up but Lauren thank you so much for taking the time and having a conversation with us yes thank you guys so much thank you thank you